Welcome to the Crossover Church Podcast. Although we are in Tampa, Florida, our platform is global and our impact is international. Our mission as a church is to empower people to discover, develop, and display Jesus Christ in every area of their lives. Join us here each week for inspiring messages, thought-provoking conversations, and so much more. Help us spread the word. Share this podcast on your social media platforms. Now let's tune in to today's message. All right, I want to welcome you guys to Me Too, week number two. And so probably a lot of you guys have heard of the hashtag Me Too movement. And so we kind of decided to title this series that because there's been so many people that have been through abuse and through sexual abuse and hurt, harassment, all that kind of stuff. And over the last couple of months, it's been coming out and people have been sharing their stories and being courageous. And a lot of people that have had power and position and use their money to kind of keep people down, they've been exposed. Uh, So we talked about that. There's a lot of good things coming out of it. But at the same time, we did mention that sometimes when things like this happen, it can almost create a culture sometimes of if you are accused, then you're now guilty until proven innocent. And that's not the way it should be. So I, I wanted to say that in times like this, use discernment, use wisdom. Don't always jump on the bandwagon when somebody says something about someone else. Don't be so quick to judge people, but, but use discernment. And so... But so we kicked off last week and we talked about the woman at the well and we literally had like a well right here. How many of y'all was here last week? We looked at John chapter four and we talked about this story where Jesus went up to this well and there was this woman and she was Samaritan. So men didn't usually talk to women in that culture, number one. Number two, she was Samaritan. Jews and Samaritans didn't like each other. But then the third thing was is she she had had five husbands and the dude she was living with now wasn't her husband. She was, she was shacking up. She was living with him. But yet, Jesus didn't judge her. He didn't condemn her. He still ministered to her. And he offered her living water because she was there to get some water. She was thirsty. People are thirsty. Everybody in our world is thirsty. They're thirsty for purpose. They're thirsty for peace, for contentment, for pleasure. They're thirsty for all this stuff that they think they need, but so many people are drinking from the wrong what? The wrong well. And when you drink from the wrong well, eventually you get sick. And sick people make other people what? Sick, right? We know a lot about that. The flu is going around, right? And so, you know, somebody's coughing or sniffling, which I'm healthy now. Thank you. Thank you for praying for me. I'm good now. (laughs) But a lot of times you're like, oh, you know, I'll just, you know, I'll give you a shoulder. Maybe I'll give you a pound maybe, but... I'm not shaking your hand. I'm not hugging you. I want to stay away from you. Sick people can make people sick, just like hurt people will. Broken people will break people. But here at Crossover, we believe that healed people can heal people. We believe that forgiven people can forgive people. We believe that changed people can help change people. And so we watch that play out in this story of John chapter 4 as Jesus encountered this Samaritan woman at the well. And last week at the end of the service, we had this powerful action step. And everyone had an index card inside of their program. And then an opportunity to write something on it if they had gone through some hurt, some pain, some abuse. Or if there was people here that they were the abuser. They were the perpetrator that they could write something down and say, God, forgive me. I want to let that go. I, I, I want to get healthy. And so we had people come up here to this well and drop it in. And there was literally hundreds 
and hundreds of those cards. That well is like halfway full almost of cards of so many stories of people uh, of their hurt and their pain. And then each person got a little cup and what that cup represented was the living water. And there was nothing in the cup because the living water, you can't actually drink it or actually see it or whatever. But the living water, that's that thing that's going to quench our soul. That's that thing that's going to bring that, that healing and that, and that peace. And so last week was really a catalyst for literally hundreds of people as they took that step. And I know God's been working on some of you this week. And, and it's the beginning of that healing process. But we want to continue. We won't just leave it there. Like, okay, that was a great moment. We want to leave it there. We want to help you continue to process through that and find healing. And if you're already healthy, we want to give you tools to help other people get healthy as well. And so I'm going to be joined today in just a moment by a couple of counselors. And I know in our culture, sometimes, especially urban culture, um, counseling is like, uh, I don't need a counselor, especially for guys, for, for, for men, for dudes. We're like, I don't need no counseling. I ain't crazy. Like, we think if we go to counseling that we're crazy or something, something's wrong with us, right? Well, something's wrong with all of us, right? We all have some issues. Doesn't mean you're crazy, but it it means that here's the bottom line. A lot of us, maybe we grew up and we didn't have all the right things in our life or all the right people in our life. Maybe your dad wasn't there or or someone to really mentor you or show you what a healthy relationship looked like or there was issues, there was dysfunction, right? How many of y'all can relate to that? You had any dysfunction in your family? Okay, thank you. Y'all with me. So then we try to start a family ourselves, or we try to just have relationships with other people and we're carrying all this baggage into this next season of our life and it's not working. It's unhealthy. There's issues. There's, there's trust issues. There's intimacy issues. There's, there's boundaries we put up. There's, there's this awkward moments because there's all this stuff that we still haven't unpacked. And here's the bottom line. We don't have the tools to fix it. Now, yes, Jesus can give you the tools, but Jesus also puts other people in your life to help you fix things. He wants to give you tools to help you process through that. And so nothing's wrong with counseling. It's not weird. It's needed sometimes. I've gone to counseling before. Uh, It's needed so you can get some tools in your tool belt to process through those things so you can get healthy again and you can get healed and you can get whole. So we got a couple counselors with us today. They're going to counsel me and you. Okay, y'all ready? Y'all ready? Okay, there's, there's some of our own family members here. You know, we got some counselors in the midst. They have their own counseling centers and everything. So uh, 1230 service, I want y'all to give some crazy love for Dr. Chris Cambus and Natalie Southward. Show them some love. They family here anyways, but you, you might have not known. These are some awesome counselors. Yeah. So round three, here we go. Well, I... I Before we get into like some of the tools that you guys are going to give us, you guys are people just like we are, and you guys have some stories as well, and I know that one of the big things of why you do what you do, and you want to help people and give them tools is because you have a Me Too story as well. Both of you do. It's different, but I want you guys to share that so everyone here can can know like you've gone through this stuff, so you're speaking from experience and from your heart. So Natalie, tell us your story. So my story could maybe be your story, could be similar to our story. Because what I've learned over the years is that we are more alike than we are different, right? So pain is relative to the person that's experienced it. So we can't compare pain, correct? So I've been through some things, you guys have been through some things. So my story, I would say, isn't unique because if I held onto the term unique, I would keep it to myself and I would feel like nobody could relate. 
right? So then I would be as sick as my secrets. So when I was younger, I, I grew up in a small town in Indiana. Um, I grew up in a, a Christian household, loved my childhood. I was a busy bee. I was in sports. I was in any sports that I could get my hands on. Um, I rode horses. I, I just enjoyed life. I felt very carefree. Um, I didn't know loss. I didn't know pain. Uh, I was very naive, right? So um, towards the later part of my elementary years, uh, I was sexually abused and molested by a family friend. He was three years, uh, three times older than me. He was three times older than me. Um, and so my world came crashing down because I was saturated with, you're disgusting. You are nasty. Something's wrong with you. You're broken. All these lies just started flooding in from the abuse, and I felt stupid. I was shame-ridden, so I wanted to be silent in that. I was embarrassed, beyond embarrassed. And so my parents took me to counseling. I was a therapist, probably worst nightmare. I wouldn't talk. I just sat there. I, just, I wouldn't talk. I was just so silenced with shame and embarrassment that I felt like I couldn't even talk about it. And so... I moved on, right? I moved on from that experience without the healing. And so in my middle school years, I committed to celibacy, being, being pure, right? Being pure until I was married. So I got a purity ring. I was really determined to stay on the right path and, and do well by my own choices, right? Um, when I was in eighth grade, or seventh grade going into eighth grade, my dad got transferred to Florida. So I came from a small town, and I was dropped in Florida and had no clue. Um, <laughs> I had no clue. I, I was just so naive. And so in eighth grade, I started dating the bad boy. Uh, I was going to bring him to Christ. I was going to be a witness for the Lord. And, uh, you know, that relationship got very unhealthy. It was very codependent. It was destructive. And uh, ninth grade year, I was 14 and pregnant. So my daughter, Lacey, uh, she's, she'll be 21 in June. Um, I was determined. I just jumped all in. I'm like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be the best mother. I'm going to do what I need to do to raise her right and allow her to be healthy and protect her. And I loved it. However, I didn't deal with the pain and abandonment and the abuse and the struggles and the shame that I lived out of. And so life was good raising her and being a mom, but I still denied all these other things that I still struggled with. So fast forward into college years, I was in a long-term relationship. Um, it, was, it was amazing. I thought it was exactly what I needed. I thought this was, you know, God's, God's hand of blessing upon my life. And that relationship quickly turned to being abusive, um, physically abusive, emotionally, and at times sexually abusive. And uh, the terror that I experienced out of that relationship um, ended with, domestic violence, restraining orders. It was just, it was a time of my life that was very torturous for me. Um, and so from there, I was angry. I was full of bitterness. I was full of anger and rage and disgust. And so my new mantra was, I'm going to hurt you before you hurt me. I'm going to get you before you get me. And so I was very toxic. I was a very toxic person. I was toxic in relationships, friendships. I was, you know, I would say I was, I was just a nasty mindset, just very venomous. And so I did some things in college, and I, I just not proud of. I, I completely went against God's word, his calling on my life, his path for me. Um, you know, and I, and I denied the pain. So I 
fell into compulsive escapes through, you know, drinking and clubbing, smoking weed, sex, relationships, just one thing after the other. But of course, did it help me? No. But God. But God. So let me tell you what Jesus did in me and through me, right? Because I finally realized that my Abba Father was pursuing me with a relentless passion. He was after me. He was after all of me, the good, the bad, the ugly, because he created me. And so through that, I started realizing who he was, that his word, his word is for me. His word is for you. And I really dove in, and God placed some amazing mentors in my life, some some believers in Christ that walked alongside me, a Christian counselor that invested in me. Listen, I practice what I preach, okay? So I, I don't like hypocrisy. So I practice what I preach. And so... God just brought in a really amazing, strong Christian mentor in my life. Uh, I sought support groups, um, healing and recovery. So those are just some, uh, of course, the Bible and worship. And, and God just rebuilt me. And I realized what freedom was. And so I recognized that, you know, God wanted to use my past as a point of reference for me to be able to move forward and to be able to walk alongside others to show that, you know, he can transform because I don't wear those labels anymore. I wear the right labels that have been spoken in this word over me before I was even born. So that same healing for you was for me, and it goes right back to you. Like, God desires that for all of us. So we've gotta get entrenched in the word, regardless of where your story is now, or where it was, and where are we going? Where is God calling us to go with this message of hope and healing? So that's just a little bit of my testimony. I get really excited in it because I know yeah. what it's like to be bound up and to be free, y'all. It, freedom is for all of us. It cannot be contained. So that's just a little bit of my story. Yeah, give it up for Natalie. Here's, here's something a lot of times we think about abuse or sexual abuse even uh, we think, well, that just happens to women. But statistically, yes, women, it is more than men, but there's a lot of men. Actually, one in six men um, go through some kind of abuse as well. And so, it, you know, we're going to be sharing some stories over the next few weeks from the scripture. There's a lot of things in the Bible that talk about abuse. Uh, but there's one particular story before we get to Chris's story that I want to show you that it happens to men sometimes as well, from other men and even from women as well. So in Genesis chapter 39, and I've been going through Genesis and Exodus, I've been kind of reading from the beginning of the Bible uh, in my personal time this year. And every, how many of y'all have noticed every time you read the Bible is something new? Me and my mother-in-law were having this conversation yesterday. We're like going through the Bible together uh, from the beginning, and we're just like, man, these stories and some of the details, like I didn't see that part, or I didn't look at it this way. And, and so the story about Joseph, and I preached on it, read it many times. Joseph was his, his father's favorite son. And all the other brothers got jealous and they ended up wanting to kill him. They sold him into slavery. So he got sold into slavery. Um, he got shipped down to Egypt and this guy named Potiphar, this wealthy guy named Potiphar, he took him in and he started working for Potiphar. Well, he was just such an organized guy, such an amazing leader, Joseph, that Potiphar like put him in charge of everything. He trusted him. So chapter 39, verse six, it says, so Potiphar gave Joseph complete administration, uh, administrative responsibility over what that he owned? Everything. Everything. He trusted this guy so much. He said with Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing except for what kind of food he was going to eat. 
Now, Joseph was very handsome. He was well built. And Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me. She what? Demanded. She demanded because she's the boss's wife. She's over him. The boss's wife, and this dude's wealthy, like she, she probably was used to getting what she wanted. So she demanded, come and sleep with me. I see something I like, I want it. But look at what Joseph said. He said, look, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He's held back nothing from me except you because you're his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. Key thing there, if you didn't notice, like first of all, he's saying, I couldn't do this to my boss. He trusts me. It would be wrong. But then he said, it would be a great sin against God. Many times we don't look at it that way. When we're about to do something wrong, we're about to sin. Like it's a sin against God as well. It really disappoints him. Verse 10 says, she kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day after day after day, but he refused to sleep with her. And he kept out of her way as much as possible. So he was trying to like give her the slip. Oh, I know that around 10 o'clock she's in that part of the house. I'm gonna be over here in this part of the house. And some of you guys have experienced that. You've gone through some harassment from someone uh, that you didn't want to accept their advances and it was inappropriate and they were doing and saying some things. And so you did whatever you could to just stay away from that person. That was Joseph trying to stay away from this woman. But look what happened. One day, however, no one else was around. And when he went in to do his work, she came and grabbed him by his cloak, demanding, come on, sleep with me. There's that demeanor again, demanding, right? Come sleep with me. Joseph tore himself away from her, but he left his cloak in her hand as he ran from the house. He like was running from the lust and running from the situation. Like, I'm out of here. I'm not sticking around to see what happens. But look what happened though. When she saw that she was holding his cloak and he fled, she had an idea. So she called out to her servants. Soon all the men came running and she said, look, my husband has brought in this Hebrew slave here to make fools of us. He came into my room to rape me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream, he ran outside and got away, but he left his cloak behind with me. So then she flipped it on him. You don't want to sleep with me? Fine. I'm going to say you tried to sleep with me and accused him. And so now it came to this point of who are they going to believe? The slave or the boss's wife? The boss's wife, right? So Joseph gets thrown in jail, and you got to read the rest of Genesis Uh, 40, 41, 42, to see the amazing things that happen. But here's the thing. If you remain faithful to God, guess what? He's going to vindicate you. He's going to turn the situation around. And and Joseph, like, you got to read the story. Amazing stuff happened. But the point is, the bottom line is, men also go through abuse. Men also go through things that happen to them that shouldn't happen, and trauma, and verbal abuse, and physical abuse, and emotional abuse, and sexual abuse. It happens to men as well. So men, don't try to disconnect here. Women, don't think like this, has, this is a women's series. This is not. This is a series for all of us. So, so Chris, why don't you share a little bit of your Me Too story? Sure. You know, I, I grew up in a home with me, my mom, my brother, along with my grandmother and grandfather. And uh, my grandfather was just this harsh old Greek guy, you know, straight from Greece. Uh, severe alcoholic, you know, uh, drunk five, six nights a week. Oh, day and night, um, mean guy, you know, uh, 
not so much physically, though that you know was once in a while, but it was just much more verbal in nature. Um, you know, you know, effing good. You're just on and on and on. You know, just the mantra, day after day, day after day, day after day. And so, you know, it certainly doesn't feel good. Um, and you start believing that stuff and question it. But by the time I hit my teens, I was thinking maybe this guy kind of has a problem. So that certainly had an impact on me. And living in that environment certainly had an impact on me. Just living in an alcoholic environment was, was uh, pretty stressful. But, you know, for me, guys, trauma in my life, I mean, that was, there was trauma relative to my granddad as far as just kind of some physical and, um, you know, much more verbal type stuff. But for me, living in that environment led me down into drugs and alcohol. And so I just started cycling in and out of drug and alcohol rehabilitation centers. But living, living in that lifestyle of, of uh, doing drugs and dealing drugs um, just put me in very you know, precarious situations that time. And, and uh, one in particular, I was, uh, had been in a fight with my granddad and I was looking for a place to sleep that night. So I got a hotel room uh, at the hotel right there at the corner of um, Fletcher and 275. But you know, it's like 1.32 in the morning, um, I pay for the room, I have to park around in back of the hotel. And there's this car there, it's turned on, you know, windows were tinted, couldn't see who was inside of it. But I, guys, I really didn't care, right? Um, who was inside or not. So I park, I go to the stairs leading up, two guys are there. Uh, basically what it was, these guys were part of Rastafarian drug gang. And so trying to get up the stairs and they're there, so, you know, we kind of bump and, uh, as I'm walking to my room, I can just feel, you know, like the heaviness. And I turn around, this guy is, you know, he's just pulling out his gun. Now, typically I had my gun. I didn't have it with me. My granddad had taken it out of, out of the car. Had I had it, he would be dead, right? I mean, I had the drop on him. He'd, he'd just been, you know, laying there dead on the, on the, you know, tarmac, whatever, outside of the room. But I didn't. So now he's on my back. You know, I'm in the room now with this guy and another guy, and they have a 38 at my head. Knock on the door, the guys from the car come up. Now, so now there's four guys and me, and so now I got a nine millimeter and a 38 at my head. And so they kept on, you know, they wanted me to lay face down, right? But guys, you know, I knew what would happen if I laid face down. They were just gonna execute me. They'd shoot me in the back of the head. And I wasn't gonna let that happen. I wasn't gonna let someone just take my life from me, you know? Um, so I said no. And, at the, you know, at that moment, guys, you know, this was just God's hand in the whole thing. Things got very silent. And uh, the largest guy takes me and puts me in the, the bathroom after he had taken my wallet and watch and stuff and keys to the car. And I'm just thinking, okay, the bullets are going to start coming through the bathroom door at this point. Um, but they didn't. You know, I heard the door close and they were off. So, um, you know, it was... That, for me, guys, triggered a, a response in my, in my body. People call it post-traumatic stress disorder. You know, um, a new nervous system uh, comes about, which we'll talk about um, in a little bit here. Uh, but that was, uh, that was an abusive situation, right? One of many. That one stuck with me, maybe because it caught me off guard, maybe because it was just too fast for my, my nervous system. Um, but nevertheless, it did. So... Growing, coming out of an, you know, kind of a verbally abusive home, not much physically, some, but not much. But then having that environment lead me into environments that were extremely abusive, that really um, changed the way your nervous system functions for the rest of your life. 
And so we'll, we'll get into that. But ultimately, then there was God, right? Then there was God one day who, who begins the healing process. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. All right. Give it up for Chris. So you can see there's two different stories here, real stuff. So both of you guys have gone through some, some trauma. And so because you have, you've made it your life's mission, your life's passion to help other people heal from that. And you've gotten some tools that you've learned and you went to school and you've gone through this yourselves. And so now your passion is we want to help other people get better. And so Natalie, we'll start with you. And when we deal with pain, we have options. We can, there's a lot of wrong options and then there's a right option. So talk to us about some of those options of dealing with pain. And then I know you're going to give us some steps. So if you guys have your, your smartphone, if you could pull it out and open up the Crossover app, and we encourage you guys to take some notes. If you're worshiping online at home with us, you can download the Crossover app in the Apple and Android store. It's free, and just jump in. There's a little link on there that says notes, and um, there's some great steps that she's about to share, so, so go ahead. So options in dealing with pain. There's four options in dealing with pain, and then the fifth option is the only option. Okay, so I'm gonna talk about the four unhealthy options in dealing with pain, so just make that very clear. I'm not encouraging you to deal with the pain in these four ways. The fifth way, I'm about it, okay? So the first four ways, let's try to stay away from. So the first one in your, in your notes, there'll be blanks. It's introjection, which is turning pain inward. Okay, so you take the pain, you turn it inward. This can look like anxiety, depression, right? So it can affect your relationships. It's self-denial in a sense. Um, so that'd be taking the pain and turning it inward, right? So the second one is projection, turning the pain outward, right? So I'm taking the pain and I'm turning it outward. So that's where rageaholism is. That's where anger, bitterness, uh, blaming comes from. So remember, my motto in college years was, I'm going to hurt you before you hurt me. That's projection. I'm projecting my pain onto other people. So the next step, the next option in dealing with pain is the addiction cycle. So that's what we call medicating the pain. So it can be drugs, alcoholism. It can be food addiction, religious addiction. It could be money addiction, Right, so like the whole workaholism and all of that falls into medicating the pain. It could be working out. It could be anything yes. that you go overboard with. Yes. So any compulsive escape that keeps you away from handling and dealing with the issues that are going on within you, that would be considered medicating the pain. So the fourth option in dealing with pain is relationship addiction. So AKA codependency. So I'm going to lose myself in relationship to you, so therefore there is no me, there is no past, there is no pain, there is no trauma. So the relationship addiction, it's tough because that codependency comes into play. And so that's where my pain is for me, that's where the victim mentality comes from. You know, my pain is just within myself and for me. Or my pain is now gonna use to be used against you, which is victimization. Okay, so those are four options in dealing with pain. And the fifth, fifth option in dealing with pain is processing the pain. Processing the pain with Christ, getting real with yourself, and being able to work through that which has already happened to you. And there's such a direct need to overcome it. So type that in notes, processing the pain. There's not a blank for that. There's a little blank where you can type stuff in. So now we're going to go over the nine steps. Yes, nine. There's nine steps in processing pain, okay? So the first step 
is feeling the full weight of the pain. Hear me say this, y'all. Your feelings are not gonna kill you. You are not gonna die based off your emotions right now. Okay, so some people are like, I wanna avoid it, I don't wanna feel it, I, 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 it's gonna come over, take, take over me. No, think of what you guys have been through. Think of the traumas and the pain that you've experienced in your life, and you're sitting here today, right? So there is such strength, there is such, such fury and passion in you guys to already get through whatever it was, get through, right? I didn't say deal with or heal from, but maybe just by getting through what you've already experienced. And so feeling the full weight of the pain is allowing yourself to honor the emotions and the experiences that you've been through, okay? So the next step, the next step in our processing pain is being able to share that, those emotions, that experience with God and with others, okay? So express pain and feelings to God and possible others. So what that looks like is clearly going to our Father above, being able to share and talk to him and process through, but then being able to allow yourself to be vulnerable with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Okay, it might be a pastor, it might be your brother in Christ, your sister in Christ, it might be some therapist, right? It looks different for everybody, but being able to be vulnerable and open to share with other people, to allow them to walk alongside you is the second step for processing pain. The third step is recognizing the source of pain. Where'd that pain come from? Who contributed to that pain, right? Who caused that pain? Being able to acknowledge, you know what, where is that pain from, okay? So that way, once you recognize and deal with it, some of that pain might have been caused within yourself from you, like self-harm, self-inflicting, whatnot. So being able to recognize where did this pain come from? Then the next step, the fourth step, is receive healing for the specific damaged feelings. So welcoming the process of healing to take place. I have had people come into my office and for a first session, which is just an assessment, and it's just information sharing, right? They've left, they've come back, and they've said, oh, I felt so much better after the first session. I didn't do any therapeutic, any techniques and tools and all of that. It was because they had never shared before. So there is automatic healing and sharing because that to me is where freedom comes from, right? So that's that piece of saying, you know what, I'm gonna receive this healing for those damaged emotions. The next step is number five. It's releasing the pain back to the cross, okay? So hear me say this, you guys. You've gotta release that pain back to the cross because let me tell you, the whole reason Jesus Christ was crucified was for what? for our pain, for our sufferings, for our struggles, our issues, our sins. So we've gotta get it right back to the cross where it belongs. Because God told me a long time ago, don't you dare let my son, Jesus Christ's death on the cross be in vain. Because I was holding on to my stuff. And God said, how dare you? How dare you let my son's death be in vain? And so we've gotta put back all of that to the cross. That's what he calls us to do. He desires us to be free. Okay, so that's being able to say, you know what, I'm getting that right back to the cross where it goes so that I can walk in this freedom and this peace and this healing that God desires for me, for these men up here and for all of you out there. And so the next step is being able to rescue the part of yourself that you rejected, right? So you heard me say when, when I was abused, I was dirty, right? That was an automatic message I heard. Oh, I'm so gross. I'm stupid. I'm such an idiot. I'm so broken. I'm rejecting myself. Those are rejecting statements. And so we have to identify, you know what? I reject the lie in the name of Jesus Christ that my story is unrelatable. And I, re and I replace it with the truth 
that everybody can relate to me in one way or the other because we are all cut from the body of Christ, right? So it's being able to say, you know what? I reject the lie in the name of Jesus Christ that I will never be healed. And I replace it, which the next step is replacing, right? So reject the lie, replace the lie with truth, okay? So I replace it with the truth that I am healed. I'm continuing to walk in my healing, you know, I reject the lie in the name of Jesus Christ that I am only a sinner. No, I replace it with the truth that I am a sinner saved by grace and God washes over me day in and day out and that will never change. I cannot change what God has written in scriptures about me just like you cannot change what God has written about you in the story of his word. So it's being able to replace those lies with his truth. Then the next step is being able to say, you know what, I'm gonna be able to forgive I'm going to be able to forgive the offender. And only, so release the offender by forgiving them. Only the strong can forgive. Being able to forgive is an attribute of the strong. So there's a saying, it's, you know, um, unforgiveness is like drinking poison, expecting the other person to die. Right? Don't drink poison expecting the other person to die. That's what unforgiveness does. Unforgiveness keeps you stuck. Unforgiveness keeps you bitter. Unforgiveness can keep you from your healing. Trust and believe. I can testify to that. And I see some heads nodding. You can testify to it too. So once you go through processing, you are willfully choosing not to escape the pain anymore with those compulsive escapes, right? So I'm willfully choosing not to escape the pain because I've resolved the pain because of Christ's redemption in my life. Through, resolu through resolution of pain, that is where your healing takes place and you walk with a new life mission and testimony. Because at the end of the day, my past is a point of reference. It is not a predictor of my future and it's not labels that I'm gonna walk in anymore. I look at it, trust and believe. I don't deny that my past exists. I promise you that. But I see how God allows me to still recognize it, see it, look at it from time to time. It doesn't carry the weight and pain. I can talk about it like we're talking about the weather, not because I'm callous and cold and detached, but because I've experienced healing, right? And I wanna use that to be able to say, you know what, you can experience that same healing. And it takes us processing. It takes us getting real and raw and stop walking around with these masks that, oh yeah, I'm good, you good, good. Oh, good, okay, good. No, done, enough. God says, take that off. Allow yourself to be seen because through that, I want to be a light for Christ at the end of the day. So I want to live at that new life mission and walk alongside other brothers and sisters in Christ that are broken to show them the same hope and truth that God has shown me. So that's the processing pain, dealing with pain, and then just rocking your healing so other people see it too. So. All right. Good stuff. Did you catch that? Your, your past doesn't have to be a predictor of your future. Isn't that good news? Let me say that again. Your past does not have to be a predictor of your future. Because when Christ comes in the mix, man, it becomes a different thing. So Dr. Chris, the doctor, the, the, the brain of, of, of the group up here, um, he's actually going to talk about our brain. And he talked a little bit about this, about how when severe trauma happens, our nervous system, we have a new nervous system almost, it gets rewired, and so how do we get it back to where it's healthy again? So talk a little bit about that, because we have to understand that, that process. Sure, so yes, the, the idea uh, with trauma 
is this, uh, and, and we'll walk through a couple points. But first thing you need to know is for trauma victims, the most important thing for them is to be able to find safety in their own body again, right? Just to find peace because it's, it's running on, you know, space shuttle rocket fuel at this point. So it's no more living in the moment and being spontaneous and enjoying life. It's, you know, uh, looking inward, uh, trying to do everything that they possibly can to suppress this massive assault of uh, physical symptoms that they're having uh, because of the trauma that's taken place. And I'll, I'll expound on that a little bit more. Let me just read you two things before, before we go into this. So, so trauma, whether it's the result of something done to you or something you yourself have done, almost always makes it difficult to engage in intimate relationships. After you have experienced something so unspeakable, how do you learn to trust yourself or anyone else again? Or conversely, how can you surrender to an intimate relationship after you've been so brutally violated? Deep down, many traumatized people are even more haunted by the shame they feel about what they themselves did or did not do under the circumstances. They despise themselves for how terrified, dependent, excited, or enraged they felt. Right? This, this is, these are things that start taking place inside of people who have been severely traumatized, right? I want to give you a window into what's going on inside uh, a traumatized person. Um, first and foremost, guys, literal time stands still. And so I just want to, I want to bring that, that brain image up for one second. Um, if you take a look, this is a person under, uh, inside of a um, fMRI, and if you see they're, they're actually reliving, they're having a flashback, they're reliving the trauma, right? And if you look at those two long arrows, you'll see two uh, kind of white spots right there. And so, um, time stands still. Literally when that trauma takes place, guys, time as you knew it uh, is gone forever. Uh, we, we are stuck in the moment, right? So the past as you knew it, the present as you knew it around you, and the future are gone. Literal time space, or time space as we would say, has uh, halted, right? Um, so we be, we're, we're continually reliving this thing that's keeping our system, right, on rocket fuel. We're in a stress response. We have 1,400 different physical and chemical reactions going on in our system, which is releasing another 30 uh, uh, hormones and neurotransmitters which are wreaking havoc on our body, causing you know, everything from fibromyalgia um, you know, to irritable bowel syndrome and all kinds of uh, syndrome to all kinds of other autoimmune disorders, right? It's your body is assaulting itself, all caused from the mind, mind separate from the brain, right? So we, we begin to um, you know, experience time standing still. We have our perception changes. You know, we do Rorschach tests with people. You give them ink blots. And you'll see people that are like, you know, well, what does this ink blot look like? Dead baby. What does ink, this ink, look, ink blot look like? A dead baby. Perception changes, right? I could be sitting in a parking lot and, and think, man, this per they're coming. They're coming. Give me my gun. The person next to me is going, are you, what's the matter with you, man? They're just walking across the parking lot, right? Perception changes for us. Um, the next thing we take a look at, guys, is uh, dissociation. And if you could put the screen, the, the image of the uh, girl sleeping in the clouds up, that would be great. 
Right? So we're experiencing everything from time ceasing, as we've known it, we're just stuck in time, to all the chemical reactions that are taking place, to dissociation. So we have a, a young girl sleeping up in the clouds. This is her being molested. Here's a satanic figure. And guys, this, this particular drawing happens in therapist offices all around the world. So we're dissociating. It's the way God built us in moments of severe trauma, right, fight, flight, and freeze. Uh, we we kind of leave, you know, our conscious state at that point. We're removed from it, so we're not enduring, right, uh, this severe trauma. So we've got time standing still. We've got physical and uh, chemical processes wreaking havoc in our body. We have dissociation taking place, which in turn leads to fragmentation, where there's not just one of me anymore. There's a lot of me. Instead of one personality, that personality is now fragmented off into parts. Might be one other part. So there's, you know, me and someone else. Or it might be five other parts. And the, and the process of just taking those fragments back into a, a whole is, you know, a very long one, to say the least, right? I say these things, guys, to give you an idea of what is, what's transpiring in people, right? Like, I just wanted to know, God, please... If there was a God, he wasn't interested in me, and he certainly sold me out. That was my thinking, right, in allowing the, in these type of things to happen to me. So for me, it was a matter of just trying to make sense of what was transpiring in my body, right? Like, why couldn't I sleep? Why couldn't I swallow? What was all this impending feeling of doom going on with inside me? And so, you know, we, we reached this point in the middle of trauma where there's a particular spot in the brain that's responsible for translating emotion into words, right? Well, trauma, guys, pushes us to the brink of humanity. And so, um, you know, this ability to, to translate these emotions that were experienced during that time into words uh, ceases to exist. If you put the, the one image where it's kind of blank with just one or two spots. I'll show you kind of what I'm talking about. Brain with just, there we go. So this is a person who's dissociating, right? They're floating off into the clouds, like no brain activity going on. You see that dot up there in the right? That's this thing called Broca that's responsible for um, translating emotion into language. And so it's just gone, right? Can't do it. And so the point, again, guys, that I'm driving at, your body's in a stress response, right? Habitually, it's not stopping, right? You have all these chemicals that are being released in your body wreaking havoc on your system. You have literal time standing still. You have dissociation. You have fragmentation, right? You have, you have a brain that cannot, uh, you know, transmit uh, the experience into words, Right? You can might tell, you know, in some form or fashion, like a story of it, but you can't tell your experience of it. Right? I say all these things, guys, from this perspective. Look, I, I 100% agree with everything Natalie says. I 100% agree with everything Tommy says. From my own personal experience, I would tell you, God? I mean, I was like, come on, man. If there's a God, he ain't loving me. Because, I mean, just live in, live in my body for 60 seconds, right? And 
that would give you some type of evidence anyway that you didn't think there was a God. But there is. But there is. The reason that I bring this information to the table is because I know there's many people, I see them all day, they walk into my office. Right? And they can't make sense of what's transpiring inside of them. They'll hear people, you know, it's all kind of things. Give it to God. Let us pray for you. It's meaningless to them. It's meaningless to them. Until they can begin to make sense of what's transpiring, right, inside them and why their world is so rocked. And how could God, this all wonderful, loving, perfect God, if there really is one, had let this stuff happen to him or actually allowed, allowed me to do this stuff, right? Because remember, I can experience trauma by doing stuff to other people. Make sense? And so the question becomes, how do we heal, right? How do we heal from this? And the first is diagnosis. Like, understand what you have, right? If someone told you you had pancreatic cancer, I guarantee you by tomorrow you would have read everything on the internet about it, right? Same thing here, guys, with mental health issues. Understand. Here's the diagnosis. Understand what it is, right? The next would be, look, guys, there's neurofeedback that can take, you know, what were once finely tuned brain waves and that were, became very scattered and bring them back to, together into synchronization, right? We have EMDR, this idea of processing trauma from one, one side of the brain to the other side of the brain. We've got psychomotor therapy we, where we can create virtual images to compete with the images that are stuck in your head wreaking havoc on your system. We have exercise, we have yoga. Yoga, the idea there, guys, is to get to know your body again. Remember, with, with severe trauma that's creating post-traumatic stress disorder, you have a brand new nervous system. And your sole focus, right, in, in, is trying to control this nervous system. And, right, it's, it's focused inward. We're trying to contain this va these vast amounts of physical sensations that are going on inside of our body and the emotions that come with them. It's just impending fear, doom, these type of things. So we're n we don't have the time to live spontaneously. We don't feel safe in our bodies anymore. Our, our, all of our thoughts are focused at controlling this nervous system now that's completely out of whack, right? Doing stuff it was never designed to do, right? It's just this energies just keep processing. So, Look, I, with yoga, the idea is, you know, you're getting to kind of be comfortable with your body again, right? Kind of examine it, kind of breathe, and, you know, let it kind of feel it through, right? We have exercise. It's good for any system. There's SSRIs. You might know them as antidepressants. And the idea there is um, there were studies done where, you know, monkeys had these high levels of serotonin, and they were, you know, uh, subjected to stress, right? And then it didn't like, wasn't that bad on them. Then there was the ones who had low levels of serotonin, it really freaked them out. And so, you know, that's where you see these class of drugs, SSRIs, antidepressants, which can help, you know, uh, strengthen your system a little bit, quiet that nervous system down. Remember, we're wanting to slow everything down. We're wanting to slow the system down because it's, it's on rocket fuel, right? And then finally, guys, you know, we, we have a family. We're part of the family of God, and we have our, our own families. I cannot overestimate the importance of uh, what we would call family systems theory, what we would just simply call in everyday life, guys, my family, right? The ability to have relationships where uh, they're completely safe in, in all respects. 
Like this person is not going to harm me. My mom is not gonna hurt, hurt me, guys, right? My brother is not gonna harm me, at least in my family, right? These, these people are very safe to me. They're not gonna harm me. They have my best interest at heart. And then ultimately, because keep in mind, guys, inside of that, I can learn to do relationship again, right? Because I can, I can trust again, and I can, I can take what I'm learning there and start expanding that back out into the rest of my world. Make sense? And then ultimately, there's God. And he is a God who is. He does exist, right? He does exist, and he does change lives, and, and he can uh, do miraculous healing. What I feel is most important, guys, um, is to understand what's taking place. So we can look to God and go, can you help me out? And an understanding of why we're functioning this way, right? We don't have to be angry with God. We don't, we don't have to blame, you know, we can simply say, okay, I get it. I get how I'm designed. You know, I get how a hand grenade was thrown in the midst of this thing and how, how I can get out of this. And that's where we can rest and find comfort in God. I think David had PTSD, right? I mean, he's all over the place. So, listen, guys, there is a God who heals. Yeah. There is a God who heals. And, and, you know, you might have, or feeling or have felt like me where, you know, are you seriously? God, God forsook me a long time ago, right? And, and it really, if there is a God, right, then, you know, he doesn't love me too much, right? That I could go through this stuff and experience these type of things but know that there is, and know that there is both human healing, right, but, but the divine healing that comes. So thank you guys. Yeah. I want you guys to give it up for Natalie and Chris. Awesome stuff, right? Thank you for listening to today's podcast from Crossover Church in Tampa, Florida. On behalf of Pastor Tommy Kalonen and the entire team, we thank you for being a part of this experience. We'd love to connect with you, so check us out online at www.crossoverchurch.org or on any of our social media platforms. Our weekly services are broadcast live, and you can always catch a previous service on demand on our YouTube channel. Thank you again, and we'll see you next week.